Good morning. My backup pastor wasn't able to come today, so you'll just have to listen to me. <laughs> so we uh, learned quite a bit about Job last week, and we got more to learn yet. So let's just take a moment. Let's uh, let's take a brief recap of last week's sermon. Uh, remember that Satan challenges God, saying Job's only faithful because of all the blessings you've given him. And if we take those blessings away, all of his wealth and all of his family, and we take that away, and he'll curse you. And and. Uh, course we see that that didn't happen so uh you know god in one day satan removed everything that job had all of his material wealth gone in one day his entire all of his children all 10 children in one swoop were swept away but job's response to all that is The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, Satan's not ready to throw in the towel, so he goes back to God, and he challenges God again that, well, anybody would give all they have to save their self. So let me uh, inflict some agony on Job and see if he still doesn't curse you. And God, again, accepts the challenge on the condition that he cannot take Job's life. So Job was struck down with painful boils, probably leprosy. Uh, This, of course, made him unclean. So not only is he suffering physically, but he has to leave the luxury of his home, and finds himself sitting on the dump, scraping his boils with broken pieces of pottery. That's where he's joined by his three so-called friends who came to console him, but then instead of consoling him, they became his accusers, claiming that he is being punished for his unrepentant sin. And Job's defending himself and you know that I didn't do that. I didn't you know I didn't I I have no big sin that I have not confessed and, and repented of. I mean everybody sins, but this you know, he, he's feeling unjustly punished because he hasn't done anything. And of course he didn't know Nobody knew that this was something between God and Satan. So his friends, of course, come and and, and accuse him of all this stuff, having no knowledge of what was really going on. So this really brings us up to uh, this week's message. 
And as was mentioned last week, there's so many unknowns about the book of Job. We don't know who the author is. We don't know what time period this happened. We don't even know where Ooze really was. And, And, of course, a lot of theological scholars are trying to pinpoint this and that, but we again say if it's not in the Bible, we don't really need to know. Everything we need to know is in the Bible. So, just to keep that unknowns going, we're going to introduce a fourth friend. Now, where did he come from? <laughs> yeah. He wasn't mentioned in the first 31 chapters of the book of Job. Where did he come from? I guess we don't really need to know that. We don't know how much, you know, whether he was there the whole time. Some scholars try to say that, well, this was added many years after the book of Job was written just to enhance it. Well, we don't know that. These are just guesses. But what we do know is the message that Elihu brings is very extremely important. Now, Elihu was younger than all those other men. He's the youngest one here. And although he was angered by what he had heard, he showed humble respect for his elders. And he waited till all had finished speaking before he offered to address the group. He first addresses Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. He begins in Job 32, 6 through 10, is, and Ilad, Elihu answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, Let's, let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, Listen to me, let me also declare my opinion. So in layman's terms, he's saying, I have the Spirit of God in me. And despite your age, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) He condemns the three friends for not consoling Job. That's what they came there to do. But they got caught up in their fear and and they went a whole different direction. They became his accusers, repeatedly accusing him over and over, but presenting no evidence of their accusations. So the lesson we should learn from the mistakes of those three friends, Ilfaz, Bildad, and Zophar, is 
we should seek God's infinite wisdom before spreading our finite knowledge. That's one of man's greatest flaws, is moving our lips before seeking God's guidance. We think we know things. I went to AA, first time I went to AA 15 years ago, I uh, went in there thinking I knew all there was to know about God, and you can't tell me nothing, and this AA stuff, you guys need my help, I'll come here and help you, and I started just preaching away and quoting scriptures and stuff in AA, and people would literally get up and walk out of the room. Because here I am, a week or two sober, and I'm trying to save the world by what I think I know. And, and my sponsor clearly said, you seem to have a lot of knowledge about God, but how much of that knowledge keeps you sober? What I didn't have was a conscious contact with God. I wasn't able to let him in. I wasn't, I knew about him. I believed in him, but I had no relationship with him. I was afraid to let what would become of me if I start letting God control my life. It was a big fear for me. So that's quite often what happens is when we're, even when we're trying to help somebody, when we're speaking what we think rather than speaking what God knows, we'll take a little problem and turn it into a huge escapade, a huge mess. The best thing we can do is to be still and trust God. Sometimes hard to do, especially with loved ones. We, we always feel, well, especially with our children, I got to make them understand. I got to make them do this, make them do that. They, I can't allow them this and allow them that. And we forget that they're, they're God's children. He put them in our care. And yes, we have to discipline. Yes, we have to guide them. But do so with the guidance of God. If we're yelling at our children because they're being obnoxious, (laughs) if they're being brats and we're yelling at them, what are we teaching them? If we see them hit a child, so we spank them, what are we teaching them? (laughs) So we need to seek God's guidance in this. Yes, we need to discipline, but we need to do so with God's guidance in all all of our things. Elihu, unlike the other three, he wasn't throwing accusations at Job for sinning. But he focused on exalting God. This is the message. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. 
what he's referring to here is, I am no better or worse than you. We are both small specks in God's infinite universe. But God gives value to every speck in his universe. Elihu is addressing Job's statement that God is not hearing his words. In Job 33, 12 through 14, he said, Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying, He will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. And when we pray, God may or may not respond the way we think he will. Too often, we will pray and ask God for something and think that God is not answering our prayer. (laughs) But God always answers prayers. It's just sometimes he says no, (laughs) or not yet, or I have a different plan. But that's not what we want to hear, so we're saying, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Too often we pray for God to serve us rather than praying in faith that God has a perfect plan for us. I know I've been in pain for over three months and things are not going the way I would do it if I was in charge. (laughs) But Putting this sermon together really helped me to understand that I don't have to worry about it, that God is using this to his glory. I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I know all the pain I've suffered in the past three months is not for naught, that there's something good coming through it. And and we'll see more of that as we go on in the sermon, exactly how that comes to be. Uh, So, Elihu is saying that for God to be unjust is suggesting that God would do evil. For doing something unjust is evil. Unjust acts are evil. But God will not do evil, for he's against evil. He then reminds Job that without God, we are nothing. Let me repeat that. Without God, we are nothing. If God takes back his breath from us, our body dies and returns to dust. Man keeps trying to recreate a human. (laughs) Going to clone them, going to do stem stem cell research, going to create another human. And they might succeed in getting a, a body that will walk around, but what they will never be able to do is recreate the soul. For that's God's breath. So no matter what shape our body's in, if we're still on this earth, it's because God still has a purpose for us to fulfill in accordance to his perfect plan. We don't need to understand what his plan is. 
If God gave us all the answers, what would we need God for? We need faith. Elihu alludes to the that instead of demanding that God take Job's suffering away, Job should instead seek what he can attain from the suffering. I was given a perfect example of this. I had a good friend, Nancy, from AA, who fought cancer for many years. When I first met her, she was just this vivacious older lady. She's probably 10, 15 years older than me, just full of life. And gradually, I didn't even know she had cancer at first because she didn't broadcast that. But eventually, she started getting hunched over from the pain and stuff caused by the cancer. And she always came into the room, no matter whether standing upright or hunched over, she always came in there with this vibrant smile, full of energy, full of life. And she finally received the notice, the diagnosis that her cancer was terminal. And somebody asked her, are you afraid of dying? Her response inspired everyone in the room that day. She said, God has blessed me with a beautiful life. So I tried to mess it up with alcohol, but he brought me here because he had a better plan for me. And in treating my alcoholism, he gave me an even better life. With a promise that there's even a better one to come. So I shall be grateful every day I have in this life. He has given me so much joy, and that I get to share with everyone else. And I will be even more grateful in the next life. I will be with him then and forever. So no, I have nothing to fear. Her faith outshined her pain and agony that she was in. And she was asked this when she was, I I believe she passed away like a month later. So she was in severe agony, but still smiling and glowing with faith. Her faith outshined the pain and agony that she was going through and Nancy delivered a message that day that only she could because of her suffering and her faith. She used that suffering for God's glory. Elihu ends his message by proclaiming God's majesty. He spoke how God speaks with thunder, how God controls the rain and the snow, He guides the animals in hibernation. He spoke of how God guides the clouds in the sky. Who are we to demand that God should listen to us? (laughs) Elihu's final words are in Job 37, 24. Therefore, men fear him. 
He does not regard anyone who are wise in their own conceit. That was me when I first went to AA, so full of conceit. I'm praying every day to die. I'm miserable. I want to die, but I'm going to just save the world. (laughs) But So what we what do we have to say that God hasn't doesn't already know? This is the second point we come to is God has never asked for my opinion. Can you believe that? <laughs> huh? You don't care what I think. <laughs> so now it's God who speaks. But instead of answering all of Job's questions, he answers none of them. He doesn't even acknowledge the suffering that Job went through. Doesn't say a word about it. But what he does is poses his own questions to Job, thus maintaining his sovereignty. He didn't address Satan at all. Satan's out of the picture now. Doesn't even say, hey, I won. He he doesn't need to gloat. Doesn't acknowledge Job's wife. (laughs) He's here to deal with Job. Job's wife has her own judgment to face. And after speaking much with Job, he ends by rebuking Eliphaz, Bildad, and and Zophar. He expresses his anger toward them for speaking of him what was not right. That's the importance of us reading the Bible. (laughs) And I have to confess, there's one thing I had said in a previous sermon that was, I got the information out of Google. You can't always trust Google. <laughs> and it was pointed out to me that it didn't come from the Bible. And therefore, I shouldn't have been up here speaking it. And that was that God has always been and evil has always been. But there's no, nothing in the Bible that says evil has always been here. Matter of fact, evil is not an entity, but a, it's created by sin. So I contract that statement I made previously and just show that I, too, need to get my information from God in the Bible. So I'm still growing, I'm still learning, and... I would be more vigilant to make sure what I speak of comes from the Bible and not my good thoughts. So he, he told uh, the three friends, he didn't tell them, he commanded, that they bring seven bulls and seven rams before Job and offer them up as a burnt offering. 
He told them that his servant Job would pray for them. How did he know Job would do this? Because he knows everything. (laughs) And then he, God, would accept Job's prayer, therefore sparing them of what they deserve for their transgression. This also leads up to what we're spared through his son Jesus. He didn't mention their transgressions against Job, but only their speaking for God as if they had a clue. (laughs) Again, God is demonstrating his sovereignty. He knew before they came what they were going to do to Job. He allowed it to happen because he was going to use it for his glory. So what did God have to say to Job? Job 38, 2 and 3, Lord speaks, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? (laughs) Dress for action like a man. And I will question you, and you make it known to me. Job had spoken of coming before God as judge in a courtroom, pleading his case, that God would pay attention to him and give him answers that he sought. But God turned it right around on Job. (laughs) Dress for action like a man, says the Lord. Now, in those days, men would pull up their robes and tuck them in their sash belts before entering into battle. This is what God was telling Job to do. You're going to challenge me? Come to me as a man. (laughs) Challenge me. I will question you, and you make it known. So instead of allowing Job to be the plaintiff, he immediately places him in the defendant's chair. Darkening his counsel refers to Job questioning God's perfect plan. God proceeds to ask Job over 30 questions that he couldn't possibly answer. (laughs) He begins with, in Job 38.4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have have understanding. I'm not going to go through all 30 plus questions. Obviously, that would take us weeks. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, that God addressed the cosmos. God addressed oceanography, meteorology, astronomy, zoology, atmospheric physics, and other elemental forces like the nature of snow, hail, wind, etc. Quite the science lesson he's given Job here. He is laying out the design for life that he created, asking Job what he knows about it. He then humbles Job by speaking of animals. Now remember, 
Job once owned a lot of animals. <laughs> he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And God poses the question of who takes care of all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. So you don't even own a portion, a small fraction of what I have and tend to on a daily basis. He asked the question in 39.1, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? God opens Job's eyes not only to all that God is, but all that God does. Well, actually, just a fraction of what God does. We can't even comprehend all that God does in one day. When we are suffering, we can take comfort in knowing how great God is. When something incomprehensible happens, we can trust that God knows and has a perfect plan to turn good for what might have been meant for evil. Here we come to the third point. Why did God not accept Satan's challenge? Or why, why did God accept Satan's challenge? And it's because he already knew the outcome. <laughs> and it's a prelude to what's coming thousands of years later. We didn't, Job didn't know that. He didn't know that Jesus was coming. <laughs> he knew there was a Messiah. We didn't know, he didn't know the extent of what that Messiah was. Nor did anybody know at that time. We get to see from hindsight what had happened. God would allow, like Satan tempting Job, God allowed Satan to tempt Jesus when he was in the desert fasting, 40 days of fasting. At the very weakest point of his fasting is when Satan came to him and tempted him. God allowed that suffering because he already knew the outcome. And God didn't even address Satan at the end. Satan accepted defeat and moved on to his next ploy to overtake God. God doesn't gloat over his victory he doesn't need to because God is victory. Having no limits to power, knowledge, presence, and love, God never loses. We as believers follow a leader who never loses. And therefore, if we keep our faith, we too never lose. Our problem is our tunnel vision. We see what's only in front of us and we forget who's leading us and where he's leading us. 
the things in front of us can instill fear and overwhelm us. But all we have to do is pause and realize who our leader is. When we see that huge mountain in front of us, that impassable mountain, turn around and see all the mountains that God has already gotten us by, gotten us past. So if you want to overcome fear, strengthen your conscious contact with your leader. This is done through prayer and meditation, reading his word, serving him in obedience, and loving his children as he loves us. Pretty easy when you like the child, but what about those that you don't really care for? (laughs) We have to love them too, because they are still God's children. That brings us to step four is uh, the only one we need to fear is our God Almighty. There is nothing that man can do to me if I have faith in my leader, for he is victory. This was the concluding message that Elihu gave to Job. And this was also the basis of the message that God delivered to Job. This is the message that we need to take to our heart today. How big is our God? How small is our problem compared to how big our God is? He holds our entire universe together. Can you possibly say he has done an injustice in your life? Can you possibly say there is a problem too big for God to handle? Just because we don't understand doesn't mean it's unjust. I stand behind my leader, for there is no other like him. I stand behind my leader because He gave all so we could inherit all. He laid his only begotten son on the altar as a sacrifice to atone for our sin. And Jesus not only atoned for our sin, but gave us his righteousness And these are not just the sins that had been committed or were currently being committed. But he took your sin and your sin, my sin, your sin. He took every sin that was ever going to be committed. And he took it upon himself and paid for that sin on that cross so that we could inherit what belonged to him. That's how much our Jesus loved us. That's how much our Father in heaven loves us. It's sad that so many choose not to receive this precious gift. So sad that God offered everything. And so many say, no, thank you. But you can offer them a million dollars. 
They'll gladly, gladly take that million dollars. But that million dollars will only last them as long as their body lasts on earth. And most likely not even that long. <laughs> but the gift that our almighty leader offers us has no expiration date. At the end of the story, Job confesses and repents. There, these are the words of Job. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides the counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Oh, I had heard of you, and by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job quoted God twice. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He confesses to speaking without knowledge, and because of his self-centeredness and self-pity during his suffering, he had put on blinders to all of God's blessings about him. Then he quotes again, Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Job tells God that he heard all about him, but on this day he was shown God in all his glory. Job humbles himself before the Lord, and he repented. Job was caught in the bondage of self. He could not see the presence of God because of the bondage of self. It was all about Job at that moment. And that's what suffering often brings us. That's what being real sick. I know I used to have to take a form of chemo uh, for my liver disease, self-imposed liver disease. And, and it would make me sick for five days. And then the sixth day, I'd just start feeling better. And then the seventh day, I'd have one good day, and then I'd have to do it all over again. And I got so caught up in myself, my self-pity and woe is me, that I just wanted to die. I just wanted this to end. This, I'm sure, is much the way Job was feeling through all of this. And though it doesn't say, I would guess that At the moment of Job repenting and confessing to God, I'm sure this was the moment that he was healed. It doesn't say in the Bible. But we know that he was healed because it says that he celebrated in his home with his family and friends. And of course, if he was still unclean, he wouldn't have been allowed back to his home. So many many think that the best part of the story of Job was how God doubled Job's wealth. (laughs) 
I know this to be true because everybody I mentioned to that I was preaching on the, the story of Job, everyone would say, oh, that's the one where God doubles his wealth, isn't it? <laughs> so we know that that's really what most men think about. Of That was God's blessing. But that wasn't his blessing. That's just God, his generous way of giving back to Job what he had allowed Satan to take from him during this challenge. It was simply doing the right thing for God. The best part of the story, though, that God... Well, let's just read this. What he had said to Satan in the beginning. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? This was the Job in his own words. Now, lived in obedience to God. He was the most faithful man on earth. So what was the blessing? Not that God doubled his material wealth, but God doubled his faith. Took the most faithful man in the world and doubled his faith. I can look around here. I'm not going to mention names, but I see some very strong in faith members of our church. I know because I've seen what they've been through and they never turned from God and they maintain their faith. How would you like that faith doubled? <laughs> huh? That is the blessing for that has no expiration date. It's my hope that your faith will be increased by the words that God has given to us these past two weeks. Let's remember the suffering that Jesus went through. It too was rewarded. Jesus came to earth as a sacrificial lamb. went through all the suffering for us, for his love for us, and then was raised and brought back to heaven with a promise that he will return, but not as the sacrificial lamb. This time he will be roaring like the lion. He will be coming back to destroy evil. What a reward that is. His suffering was not for nothing. So as we go through our suffering, and we will, each and every one of us, be grateful. Because we know that God uses suffering to do great things. So thank you. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your Son to suffer for us that our suffering on earth will not have to carry into eternity. That our suffering will one day end as we get to come to heaven. We know that Jesus was the greater sufferer. Not because of how much more suffering that he did than any human ever had to endure. He's the greater sufferer because he suffered because of his love for us. So let us never forget that. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen.